believers' use of the moral law and how they understand the law and the prophets or the Old Testament, all right? And so Jesus is uh, walking us through how he interprets the moral law or the Mosaic law and the prophets, what we call today our Old Testament, right? Okay, so let me give you an outline um, in regards to how we're going to deal with this text this morning. First, let's read the text. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. We'll read it, and then I'll give you my approach to how, we're gonna or how I'm going to explain it this morning. And this is the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the holy city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your own head, or your head, excuse me, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. All right? And this is how I plan on handling the text this morning. First, of course, I need to set the context and what's going on historically. Why is Jesus saying this, right? So I'll be uh, giving you a little bit of review there. And then secondly, we'll look at the, how the Pharisees interpret this law and how they were using it to justify themselves before God, all right? Then the third thing we want to do is we want to look at how Jesus interprets the law and we're going to look at how he brings in the wrecking ball, if you will, to the scribes and the Pharisees, right? And then fourthly, what I would like to do, if time permits, is apply this law according to the gospel. All right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Why don't we pray and ask God's blessing upon our feasting this morning, hopefully. God, thank you so much for uh, your grace to us. And we know that your mercies are renewed every day because of Christ. We know that mankind can have hope because of Christ. We know that we do not have to beat ourselves up with guilt in Christ. We have an answer. And I pray that you would use this message this morning, Lord God, to glorify yourself, to glorify your gospel, to show us your character, Lord, and your heart disposition towards sinners. And so we humbly ask that you would come that you would refresh us through your word, and that you would cause us, those of us who are in Christ, to live for your glory the remainder of this week. And those of us who are not in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would give them hope and faith through the hearing of your word this morning. And so we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. All right, so, <coughs> excuse me. So the first thing we need to do is just uh, deal with what is Jesus doing historically. And historically, Jesus is warning his disciples and the nation of Israel against the teaching of the Pharisees, right? You remember how we talked about that? And so the whole Sermon on the Mount is devoted to Jesus discipling his group of Christians 
And he's warning them against the Pharisees and what they were teaching, the mainstream teaching of the Pharisees in Israel. All right, And the Pharisees, <coughs> excuse me, his burden for doing this, that is, Jesus' burden for doing this was twofold. First, Jesus wanted to expose the righteousness of the Pharisees for what it really was, false. Okay, so if you just look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says this, and this is just review and stuff we've already covered. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds that, or the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, first of all, is exposing the false righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees in his day, historically speaking. Okay? The second thing he's doing, in a historical context, is he's leading the nation of Israel back to true righteousness according to a right interpretation of the law and prophets. Make sense? Okay? So... Not only is Jesus exposing the false righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he's saying to the nation, hey, look, this is the way you should have understood it. Make sense? Okay, This is the way you should have understood the law and the prophets. They got it wrong. This is what it looks like. That's what Jesus is doing, historically speaking. Okay, So the Pharisees interpreted the law and the prophets according to their own carnal fleshly desires, which led the nation of Israel to establish its own righteousness. That's what Romans chapter 10 is talking about. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness, went about to establish their what? Own righteousness. And Paul's speaking about the nation of Israel there. Okay? I'm showing you what that looks like in time and space in Israel. How did that happen? What were the dynamics? What were the mechanics of that? That's what the Pharisees were doing, teaching a false righteousness. And Israel became settled in that. Even to the point when Jesus came on the scene, they didn't even recognize him as their Messiah, right? Um, on the other hand, and I want you to catch this, brothers and sisters, because this applies to us today. On the other hand, Jesus interpreted the law and the prophets to show the nation of Israel that they were in desperate need of a what? Messiah. But that meant that the, the nation had to own some things, right? Right? And so Jesus' preaching was either going to be very offensive to them or it was going to be something that gave them hope. Do you understand? And it's no different for you and I. See, the message of the gospel is either going to offend you because you have your own righteousness, you have it established, and Jesus and the pre the, my preaching this morning will be offensive to you because it's a threat to that, do you understand? Or, or you're going to see God for who he is and you're going to bow before that, and you're going to ask him to be merciful to you. And you're going to see that you need a substitute that he's provided in his son, Jesus Christ. We call that, brothers and sisters, the what? Gospel. Okay? The gospel. The gospel. Everything leads back to the gospel. So this sermon this morning is another example of how the Pharisees were using a law and we're talking about the law of oaths this morning, right? And they were using that to establish their righteousness before God. We're going to see how they were doing that. And then I'm going to show you how Jesus comes in and he brings in his wrecking ball and says, no, 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 that's not how you approach God. That's not how you get right with God, you Pharisees. Shame on you. And you should have known that from the law and the what? Prophets. Okay, this is how you're to hear the law and the prophets. 
And it should always bring us to a place of humility. It should always bring us to a place to where we see our need for a savior, a substitute. Because you and I don't have what it takes to become right before a holy, perfect, and just God. That is the gospel. All right? That is the gospel. And I want to make that perfectly clear for everyone this morning. Whether you're in Christ or outside of Christ, that's the heart of the gospel. Okay? Now, I want to open this morning with a caution so that you don't hear this message like a Pharisee. Okay, just bear with me. I know I'm harping on a theme here, but I got to make something clear because I believe this is what Christ calls pastors to do or people ministering the word. I don't want us to hear this message like a Pharisee, and if you're outside of Christ, you can do that, and even if you're in Christ, you can hear it like a Pharisee, okay? And, and, And begin to establish, you know, the building blocks of your own righteousness. That's what the book of Galatians is devoted to. Uh, not going back to uh, a righteousness by works. So, let me ask you this morning, and this is something that we should have already learned as a congregation, what is God's standard for righteousness? Church? Very good. Perfection. Get it? Now, sinners don't like that about God, right? Because what it means is the wages of One sin means you and I have to what? Die. That that seems harsh. That seems, man, that's strict. But what it reflects about God is what? He's holy. He's perfect. And he has a standard, a bar, if you will, that says, I accept nothing less than perfection. And we should expect that about who? God. I want my God to be perfect. How about you? I don't, want a, I don't want a God that's riddled with flaws and, and weird and, and doing weird things, right? I want a perfect God, defined by him. So God's standard for righteousness, doing what is right and what is wrong, is perfect. So any of the laws, any, you pick a law, pick a law, pick one. Okay, yeah. Any of those laws... You have to keep, if you're going to approach God on the basis of law keeping, you have to be what? Perfect. Get it? So, let's say like we talk about oaths this morning. Right? And let's say like I keep that law. I got to do it what? Perfectly. And not only that, not only do I got to keep that law perfectly, I got to keep, guess what? All the other laws perfectly. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. So why in the world would you want to approach God on the basis of works and law-keeping? You understand? So let me show you this in Scripture so you don't think I'm making this up. Turn to James chapter 2, just quickly. And by the way, Jews would keep the law because they got it from Moses and the Mosaic law. But Gentiles have a way of law-keeping too. You guys recognize that, right? We call it our goods weighing out our what? Our bads. See, we just define what good means and what bad means. But, but it's the same type of idea. It's law-keeping. It's trying to get right with God based upon your own strengths, your own thinking, your own wisdom. James chapter 2. 
And sinners don't like this about God. You know, I struggled with this about God too, the true character of God. I didn't like the fact that I was born under the law of sin and death. I felt that that was unfair. I was like, what? But the evidence is all around us. All of us in this room are going to what? Die. Do you know why that is? Because you're a sinner. Right? See, the evidence is there. You can't refute that. Okay? James chapter 2 says this. Uh, Verses 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, be the law and the prophets in this case, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law, that's God's law, as transgressors, right? Remember what transgressing means? It means to miss the mark, concentric circles, the bullseyes in the middle, and you shoot your arrow and you miss the mark. You're off just a little bit. You're not what? Perfect. Or you can use the analogy of a line, a property line, right? Um, your neighbor's here, and you're here, and there's a line between you, and you cross over or you transgress that. Okay, that's the idea of sin. That's what, that, that's, that's what we're talking about here. And God has all these laws or standards that we're violating how often? Every day. It's like we, we're constantly, we would be doing this, you know, trying to avoid, if, if you're going to approach God on the basis of law, right? So James says this, <clears throat> excuse me, speaking of this particular law that he's talking about, showing partiality, be, calling yourself a Christian and being prejudiced. You understand? That's what he's talking about here. He says, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. There it is in scripture. If you show partiality, you're sinning, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of what? Listen, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but yet you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law, right? So we can't be pointing fingers, right? The murderer can't say to the liar, look, because what? He's got three fingers pointing right back at him. And the point is this, brothers and sisters, we're all what? Sinners. We're all guilty. My sinning style is different than yours. Your sinning style is different from mine, right? But we're all guilty. We all are born under what the Bible calls the law of sin and death. It's like gravity. What goes up must come what? Down. What's born into this life as a sinner has to what? die. We are under the law of sin and death. And you don't have an answer for it unless you're in Christ. See how it works? Okay. So when we talk about these laws back in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, and we're talking about the law of this and the law of that, God gave them. God expects us to keep them, but be careful. Hold on. Not like Pharisees, like Christians. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You guys tracking with me so far? Okay? We're going to keep these laws according to the gospel, not as a means to try to get ourselves right before God. Okay. All right, so let's turn back to Matthew chapter 5, and I'll attempt to explain this law. And i got a lot of explaining to do this morning, brothers and sisters. 
You know, I was thinking that this was, was going to be one of those easy sermons. And for those of you guys who teach and preach and uh, handle the Word of God, you know how that can be. You know, you're thinking you're, you're going to be five hours in your study, and before you know it, it just starts ballooning. It just starts opening up, and you're like, wow. And before you know it, you don't have enough time left. And then I'm thinking, okay, I probably got to deal with this in two sermons, and then I don't want to have to do that, right? Because who wants to talk about oaths for two weeks? And, but if the Lord requires that, we do it, right? Yeah. No. I'm not going to. You stop it, Phil. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, um, in verse 33, let, let's, let me make a couple of comments about it, and then I'll take you back to the Old Testament where this act, law was actually established, okay? So in verse 33, when um, the law cites, <clears throat> when it talks about swearing, first of all, when it says, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, this is not talking about cursing, okay? Uh, you know, foul mouth. Although there's a connection there, you know, the, the origin of cursing was what? You, you would curse somebody. You would pronounce a curse on them, right? And now it's changed in our day. We just curse for whatever reason. We just, <laughs> right? But it's not really talking about cussing, if you will, what we call cussing. You guys, and I just have to say that for the sake of those who are unfamiliar with their Bibles, right? But what it is talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> what this law is addressing is what we call oaths or vows that bind us to any situation in life where you and I are called to swear by something greater than ourselves. Make sense? <clears throat> Excuse me. That's what we mean by oaths or vows, okay? An oath is a solemn promise invoking a divine witness regarding one's future action or behavior. So you guys can think of many examples where we use it in our culture, right? Wedding days, for example. What the bride and the groom are doing with the pastor before God is taking a what? Oath, a vow, a promise, right? Okay. It's a form of accountability to make something sure or to conf confirm something and obligate two parties. So, for example, in Hebrews chapter 6, let's just turn there quickly. Um, or I can just read it for the sake of time, because we're going to be going through a lot of scriptures this morning, brothers and sisters. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13 reads this way. For when God made a promise, this is God giving an oath. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he could, he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. That's amazing. That's God. There's no one greater than our God. Isn't that something? God looking around, and he says, man, I can't swear by anything great. I'm, then my son, and that's not an ego trip either. You guys know that. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to bring out here, so don't go there. Okay? But God is the greatest. And he can't swear by any other than himself. There's no one higher in authority. Okay? Verse 14, saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. That's speaking of Abraham. You can read about that in Romans chapter 4. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all disputes. That's the purpose of oaths. Okay? Um, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. 
that, okay, and so on and so forth. So you guys get the idea there, right? Okay, so God uses oaths. God uses oaths. Now, this is important because historically speaking, you can see why the children of Israel were so big on giving oaths and swearing and things like that. Because if they were under a theocracy, and a theocracy means that uh, God governs the nation, God gives the king information through the law, and the king's supposed to live that out amongst the people, right? Everything was coming down from God, and the nation of Israel was to follow God in his ways and his law. So the people were familiar with this oaths and, and this vowing. And they took it very, very, very seriously in the nation of Israel. Okay? Like we do in America, right? Wrong. Okay? We need to take it seriously in America, but we're kind of slipping from that, or we've slipped. The slippery slope thing. So let me show you some verses in Scripture where oaths were an integral part of Jewish culture. Turn to Genesis chapter 22 and 21. Uh, and this is right from the Gideon. This is God dealing with Abraham and what we just read in Hebrews chapter 6. Okay, So God, we'll know it under the new covenant. God is a covenant, hint, hint, keeping God. Okay? Covenant being another word for promise or oathing or vowing, right? He's a covenant-keeping God. He makes, I don't want to call it deals with people, okay? But he covenants with us. It's just his nature. So he did that with Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 21 and 22, and it reads this way. It reads in verse 22. And it came to pass at that time that, oh, I'm sorry, this is Abraham covenanting. So I, we, we've already dealt with God. This is Abraham. Um, it came to pass that at that time Abimelech <coughs> and Philcol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now that's Yahweh. Okay? Am I, are we in the right place? Genesis chapter 21 and 22? You guys with me? Okay. This is a sidebar. When Islam says that they're God, and they use the term Allah, and, and that term Allah means God, okay, it's not talking about Yahweh. They're not talking about Yahweh. Okay, They're talking about a different God. When, when the term God is used here, it means Yahweh, Jehovah. Okay? These two guys are on the same page about God, all right? <clears throat> now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring. Remember the commandment? Do not swear falsely, okay? And so when you're reading your Old Testament, this language will start to show up all over the place when you're tuned into something. And you'll start to be like I was, Wow, I didn't know there was so much swearing in the Bible. I didn't know there was so much oath-giving or vowing. <clears throat> it's a big deal. So big, we don't have an <clears throat> enough time to really talk about the ramifications of it all. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me to the land in which you have dwelt. Now, Abraham doesn't say, you know what? No way. I'm not going to swear. I'm a righteous fella. You know what? And I'm not going to do any swearing. 
No, verse 24, Abraham said, I will what? Swear. Before who? God. And listen to the swearing. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water with Abimelech's servants and had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know. Okay, so I... Anyway, verse 27. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant and sealed the oath or the promise that they took before God. Okay? You guys with me there? Um, Go ahead and run over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I can literally, literally give you guys hundreds of examples of this in Scripture. I am just randomly picking, you know, I had to get the ladies in here and uh, get, show them some love this morning, so I, I decided to pick Hannah, giving an oath before the Lord, because she was a godly woman, and she lived as if God actually saw, and she lived her life as if God actually heard She lived her life as if God was actually living and not dead, right? So in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11, we read this. You guys know the story of Hannah, and if you don't, we might come back to this and I'll open it up for you. Um, But I'd suggest you read it sometime and get familiar with this portion of Scripture. There's a lot going on here. Then she made a vow, this is speaking of Hannah, and said, O Lord of hosts, that's Jehovah, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Wow, she is so carnal. Praying that way to God. What's wrong with her? Don't she know that there's... There's kingdom things going on, much bigger than her and wanting a child. God doesn't hear things like that, right, brothers and sisters? And surely God wouldn't enter into no oath with someone, you know, who's praying that kind of trivial thing before God, right? Wrong. God cares. God sees. God hears. God knows our frame. He knows when a woman's barren and she longs for children, okay? And she cried, and her soul aches for that. He hears prayers of the righteous. He knows when you're suffering from illness and you cry out as a result of that. He hears because he cares. Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. The righteous, the redeemed, those who have access into his throne. who have been made alive to God, and they know now, and they're privileged, and they're dignified. They're children of God. Do you understand? And so Hannah uh, cast her care, pours out her heart before the Lord. Uh, Let me just finish it here. I will give him to the Lord. That's her, that's her promise, that's her vow. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And you guys know the rest of this story, right? This is the mighty prophet who? Samuel. Okay? That's how Samuel came on the scene. Don't neglect his mother. 
a godly mother who was having dealings with the Lord. Um, so let me show you in Scripture. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to... Uh, I highlighted those two examples, brothers and sisters, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give you some historical uh, background here in terms of how the children of Israel handled oaths. Okay, It was a common part of their culture. You guys can see this, right? Whether it's a mother crying for a child or whatever, okay, or whether it's Abraham uh, uh, disputing a piece of land with someone, a foreigner. Okay, They use oaths before the Lord. Okay. <clears throat> now let me show you where this law actually originated in terms of the Mosaic Covenant, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 23. If you can turn back there in verses 21 and 23. And this is the actual law. This is one of the places where the Pharisees and the Jews of Jesus' day would have been referring to when Jesus says, you have heard that it has been said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely. Here we go. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23. When you make a vow to the Lord, you, your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord, your God, will surely require it of you, and it will be sin to you. Hear that? There it is. If you're going to make a vow, you better what? Pay it. <clears throat> and quickly, you do everything you can before the Lord because he is what? Watching. He's listening. He's alive. He sees. And that's important. Okay? <clears throat> Verse 22. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vowed to the Lord, your God, that what you have promised with your mouth. Okay? There it is. So, what should we derive from this? If we make a vow, we should what? Keep it. <clears throat> or, don't what? Vow at all. <coughs> Excuse me. You guys, you guys get that? Okay. So the nation understood this. The nation understood that in, in Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 5, the nation understood that Jesus wasn't saying don't vow at all. He's saying if you vow, you better make sure you pay it or don't vow at all. Follow me? Because you see, when you go back to your Old Testament, and this is so important while you read your Old Testament to interpret your New Testament, you'll see that God made vows. You'll see that the average Jew made vows all over the place. You're like, so we can't interpret Matthew chapter 5 to mean that we shouldn't be swearing at all, right? That would be a misunderstanding of the text. That would be a misinterpretation of the text. Okay? So you see why it was important why I had to do what I just did, even though it took a lot of time? Just to clarify. Okay, good. Thank you, my brother. <clears throat> so, one other verse, Ecclesiastes 5. And Solomon, of course, wrote this. And he was one of the leaders of the nation of Israel. And he made sure that this was carried out <coughs> by the people in his day. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this. In verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Okay? Now, so we all understand that. So the question is, what's the problem? What, 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 what's the problem? Why, why is Jesus saying what he's saying in Matthew chapter 5? We all know that if we're going to make a promise, we better pay it, right? Otherwise, don't make the promise. That, that's common sense. And that brings us to the pharisaical interpretation, all right? You guys ready for this? Now, I want you to focus on the way the Pharisees were interpreting and applying this law in order to justify themselves before God, okay? So, so we have, that's the big picture here. That's what the Pharisees were doing with all the laws. What we're going to do is we're going to hone in on this one to see just how that was happening here. And enough laws that you're doing that with, you establish your own what? System of righteousness. It's the way the Catholic Church established what they have. It's the way the Mormons established what they have, and so on and so forth. Do you guys understand? You see how it works. We're no different. All right? We interpret what we call our authority. In our case, it's the Bible. And from that, we derive rules and stuff and how we interpret, and then we develop the system, and then we have what we call our religion or our brand of righteousness. See how it, you see how it works? If you misinterpret this, like the Pharisees were doing, okay, and you go about to establish your own righteousness, and it's false, you're on a wrong foundation. You understand? You're on sand not the solid rock of God's word. Interpretation, brothers and sisters, is everything at this point. How you interpret it. And we're not going to get it all right. But we better have the basics right. Okay? <clears throat> so let me show you the problem with the Pharisees and their interpretation. The problem under the Pharisaical interpretation is the Pharisees were making a big deal out of swearing itself. All right? The Pharisees were making a big deal out of swearing itself, meaning they were more concerned with how you swore than the reason for the oath. And let me show you this. Turn to Matthew chapter 22 or 23. Matthew chapter 23. In verse 16, we'll pick it up in verse 16. And this is, uh, this is Jesus on a rant concerning the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, let me just show you the authority that they had in verse 23, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples saying, the scribes and Pharisees, they sit where? Wow. The scribes and Pharisees who got it all wrong has the kind of authority that Moses had when he led the nation. Wow. That's pretty serious, right? They sit in Moses' seat. That's the kind of authority they have. All right? And then he says, verse 3, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe, but don't what? Do as they do. All right? So when a pastor preaches from the Word of God, that's, that would be equivalent to what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They were using what? The Old 
uh, Testament scriptures. And Jesus said, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't do as they do. Something's wrong. Something's not right. Something's in their water, right? It's not turning out the way I, I, I want it to in their lives. So don't do as they do. And the problem with the scribes and Pharisees, they were misinterpreting the word of God. They were twisting it. And they were teaching as doctrine the commandments of men rather than the decrees and the word and the intents and purposes of God in the lives of the people. And this is one instance. I don't want to go through them all. We could, but we just don't have time. So turn to uh, 16, verse 16. Woe to you blind guides. Wow. Wow who say, whoever swears, that's Matthew chapter 5, by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform what he's sworn. See, see what's going on there? They're, they're making the big deal what? Not so much the fact that you're swearing, but what you swore by. Okay? See, if you swear by the temple, we're not going to make a what? Big deal out of it, Right? But if you swear by the gold that's on the temple, that's pretty serious, right? We're going to make a big deal out of that. Hold on, we're not done. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 19, fools, same language that Solomon used in Ecclesiastes, and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Oh, I, 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 I skipped verse 18. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar then he's obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So Jesus is not making distinction between gold, temple, altar, gift, sacrifice. You understand that? He's saying... Look, the fact that you're what? Swearing means it's what? A big deal before God, period. You understand? And that's why he says, I say to you, don't swear at all if your interest is not to keep what you've sworn to. You guys understand what I'm saying? And it doesn't matter what you swear by at that point, whether the gold, the temple, the altar, or this, or my mama's grave. You know how some people say that? When I, when I was growing up, I swear by my mama's grave. As if that's more important than, than the fact that he just told me he was going to do what he's going to do. Get it? So you guys see where the Pharisees are beginning to deviate here in their understanding of God and their word of God and what God meant by what he said back in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Okay, just like they did with the law of marriage and divorce. Just like they did with all the other laws that we're talking about here. They, they, they tweaked it. Just a little. All right? And they were teaching that. And they said, this is what God wants you to do, O Israel. Hear him and you'll be, it'll be all good with you. And Jesus comes along and says, that's false. It's not right. Okay? If you swore by the gold of the temple, then it was binding. But if you swore by something less, it really didn't matter. The point is the Pharisees were teaching that people, <clears throat> teaching the people or the nation of Israel that they only had to be a people of their word in really important matters. You guys understand? So, let's say like I'm called to the courts and I have to what? Give an oath, right? 
They're going to bind me to that. And should I, should I do that? Of course I should, right? Because it's really, really what? Important, right? But so is my promise to my daughter at home, where nobody sees, okay? But her and I, and who? That's everything. Let me repeat that. Where no one sees but her and I, and who? God. That's everything. That's everything. That's what the Pharisees were missing. You guys with me? Okay? Let me give an example. This is kind of like a, a good twist. So not a bad twist. And I'm going I'm to take a dig on this congregation here, so I'm just letting you know it's fun and games here. It would be like me showing up for work all the time, on time, because that's really important, but church, I come in what? When I please, right? Hold on. God, God sees the person who has to show up at work just as much as he sees the person who what? Who's agreed to church life. So why is this more important than this? See the Pharisees' mindset? See how they're thinking? They begin to manipulate things and twist things, and before you know it, enough of those, and you really moved away from who? God. You understand that? You guys with me? <clears throat> the pharisaical mindset, the pharisaical interpretation is this. Those times when we were held or bound by an oath is what the Pharisees took very, very seriously, and rightfully so. We should be doing that. But you also need to take what very seriously? Anything you do before who? Period. And that highlights something about you and I as Christians, brothers and sisters. We are to be a people of integrity before God because of what Christ has done for us. It doesn't let us off the hook. That's licentiousness. Now, you don't have to be perfect. That's where you're let off the hook. Because Jesus did it what? Perfectly. Follow me? But you and I need to be people of integrity. Why? And this is what I want to close out with this sermon this morning. Why should we be people of integrity? To find righteousness before God? Why should we be in people of integrity? Why is it so important to God? <clears throat> and this is what the unbeliever and the Pharisees who weren't living before God miss. And it's this simple. Because our eyes have been opened to see that God really does see, hear, and weigh. You understand? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the what? Do you believe that? Or do you live like people who don't believe that? You know, they look this way, they look that way, but they forget to look up, right? You know what I'm talking about? And as believers, we have these lapses, don't we? We forget the fact that we're living in the sight of God, right? So let's, let's compare two saints of old. Let's take David and his adultery with Bathsheba, and let's take Joseph and his opportunity to commit adultery, right? With Potiphar's wife. David had a lapse. He forgot to look where? Up, right? Joseph said, and do this thing before my who? He looked up. And it preserved him from what? See? And Joseph was known for being a man of integrity. But his integrity was rooted in his relationship to who? Not his own righteousness. Not, I'm pretty good. 
I'm faithful. I get to this on time. I do this and do that. No, he says, shall I do this thing before my God who's redeemed my soul from the life of the pit and who's raised me up? Right? And the very thing that uh, uh, Joseph was boasting about, David took for granted. Remember when God sent Nathan to them? What did he say to him? I gave you this. I did this for you. I did this. And if that would have been too little, I would have given you so much more. Why have you despised me and my commandments? And David was like, oh, um, I forgot about you again. You You see what's going on there? See, David is not trying to work a righteousness before God. David was embarrassed because God was good to him. He had a relationship. He lost sight of the fact that God was doing everything in his life. You guys with me? It's called the fear of the Lord, and that's the beginning of wisdom. It's when we begin to realize that God is, God sees, God knows, and he watches me. And furthermore, that God, he's loving and kind and gracious and merciful and slow to anger. Wow. Brothers and sisters, wow. It's what he showed Moses, his glory, a merciful, kind and gracious and slow to anger. Even though the children of Israel built a calf and what? Worshipped it. And Moses was like, whoo, thank you, Lord. Woo. You understand? <clears throat> Turn to First Peter, just to show you this theme of a God consciousness. And that's what we need to be cultivating. That's what, I want to, that's what pastors should be doing with their people. As we read the Word of God, as we study the Word of God, as we feed upon it, we should be creating a God, con- or not creating, but encouraging a God consciousness in your guys' awareness. So when we go through hard times as a nation like we're going through right now, remember who? God. God consciousness. So we don't get caught up into the emotional pullings and tuggings of this group, this group, whether I'm for Hillary, whether I'm for Donald Trump, or neither. Right? So we don't get caught up into the rhetoric and, and all the. We got to have a God consciousness, the God awareness. What saith the scriptures? I listened to John MacArthur and John Piper <clears throat> on uh, just their perspectives on the um, election and how it went. And, uh, and both of them had excellent, excellent advice. I would recommend that you guys listen to it but before and after. I don't agree with everything, so I'm not, that's not why I'm telling you that. But what I see in these men is they're being governed by, guess what? I love that. I, I feel one with these men. I wanna, I'm like, mm, get on, John MacArthur. That's what I'm talking about, John Piper. You know what I'm talking about? Brothers battling, front lines. Courageous to do it, too, because I don't have the courage that these men do. But I'm glad somebody's up there on the front lines, sticking their neck out. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> so, uh, in First Peter, and I'm just reading this because I, you know, I, I want to help you guys to understand this is New Testament stuff. It's not just Old Testament stuff. First Peter chapter three, and uh, starting in verse uh, ten. And what Peter's doing is he's counseling his little group of Christians here to live before the Lord with a God consciousness. And he uses Christ 
as an example that they should follow in his footsteps. That's what the second chapter is all about. But notice what he says here. This is the motivation. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Finally, he's closing it out. All you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. So what we need to do at EGBC. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you might inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Man, that sounds like works. But it's not. It's obedience. And God promises covenants, blessing, when you begin to live this way. And we'll talk about this another sermon. How does that work? Because I know some people can be frustrated with that kind of theology, right? You know, does God bless on the basis of things we do or don't do? Yes, he does. And we need to make that perfectly clear. You'll see that over and over and over and over and over and over in Scripture. Okay? And we can confuse that, and this is why we have to get our context right, for how a person gets right with God, which is justification, which is not based upon what you do. You can't work for that. It's a free gift, okay? That's a sidebar. <clears throat> he says, let him who seeks peace, let him seek peace and pursue it for the, uh, here's what I want you to see, here's the motivation, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And it's a quote taken from the Old Testament and he's using it under the new covenant. You understand? Same motivation. God of the old covenant is the same as the God is to do. He sees, he knows, he hears. Remember what Isaiah said about all the false gods? They have eyes, but they what? See not. They have ears, but they what? Can't hear. They're just stumps that people make from a tree and they bow down to, but they can't, they're not alive. Our God, brothers and sisters, he's alive, he's risen. He sees, he knows, he judges, really. In your life, my life, he's judging in America right now. Now, I don't know what he's doing, but that's Okay. I'm praying and I'm, I'm studying his word and I'm listening to the people of God and I'm mingling with you and, I'm, and, I'm, and God's, the Holy Spirit works through that so that we can be on the same page as sheep and we can be ready to face together whatever, whatever challenges he's going to bring our way in America. Amen? We need to be living by the word of God knowing that our God is alive and he's in control of it all. He sees, he hears, he understands, and nothing is catching him off guard. And that's why we live the way we live. It has nothing to do with you trying to get right with God, see? <clears throat> All right, now let's turn back to Jesus's, and I'm doing this just for the sake of uh, argument here. I think you guys get the gist of this commandment. Um, Matthew chapter 5, so the Pharisees, had this false standard, false interpretation of applying this particular um, law. And they were really honing in on the, the important matters, but taking lightly the so-called lesser matters that God takes very, very seriously. Jesus said this, every idle word that a man speaks, he's going to have to give what in the day of judgment? An account for it. Wow! 
that is serious. I don't want to live under that kind of pressure, right, brothers and sisters? Do you? Well, yes and no. Because come to think of it, I don't want anybody lying to me or just telling me, you know, just using words flippantly, right? Do you want that kind of people or environment or culture? No. But every idle word that a man speaks, he's going to have to give an account for in the day of judgment. Why is God telling us that? Because if you're outside of Christ, he wants you to understand that every time you sin, even a word missed, that missed the mark, God's going to hold you accountable for that. So you better get what? Another righteousness, right? Because you don't want to go before God on judgment day and hoping this. Lord, I'm hoping my ways good out my, outweigh my bad. You know, I, I admit I, I sinned. I cursed back here. I did this. And I, but, but Lord, I did some good too. That's the fastest way to go to hell. That's the fastest way to get rejected. That's the fastest way to get stiff-armed by God, like Cain was trying to do, right? Come with his own bargaining chips and, Lord, if you... God says, no, uh-uh. One way to be find acceptance through the blood. The wages of sin is what? Death. The soul that sin has to what? God told Adam and Eve, before it all got started, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely what? There it is, the law of sin and death, 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 the law of sin and death. It's all we can't get. It's like what goes up must come down. It's a, it's a law. And God in his holiness is not going to budge from that because if he does, then there's a problem with his character. You guys get that, don't you? And God is not going to drop his character or his name for no one, not even his children. Thank you very much, right? You and I, as the redeemed, better not be taking God's name in vain or better not be taking our salvation lightly, okay? Now, we don't have to do it perfectly. And let me just give you a, a, a case in point with this particular thing we're talking about here, the, the sins of the mouth, sins of the tongue, right? This particular thing we're talking about oaths. But if you go to the book of James, right, he talks about the tongue, right? And it can be an unruly evil. How many sins come from the tongue, brothers and sisters? Let's, let's start naming some. We got gossip, right? We got cursing, slander, lying, right? You see what James means when he says the tongue is like a little spark that can set a blaze of... If I, if, I, if I tell a lie right now about Pastor Carson, right, and it gets on tape or whatever, you know how many people, that's the, the, the setting of blaze, you know how many people heard that? And I can't retract that, right? That's dangerous. You see the power of the tongue? Follow me? You guys get it? See, and, 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 and we know, we, we all stand what? We feel very guilty if we're going to look at God's standard. Man, I got to do that perfectly, Lord? Whew. You mean, I have to make sure that everything is perfect? Is that what you're requiring of me, Lord? What's the answer to that, brothers and sisters? God says, if you're trying to get right with me, yeah. Well, Lord, I can't do that. That's why I provided my son. What's the problem? I want to find acceptance, Lord. I don't want that mushy, gushy Christian stuff. You know, I don't want to, I want to come on my own merit. 
do you have another plan, plan B? You know, can my goods weigh out the bads? Because I think that's kind of harsh. God says, "Uh uh-uh, that represents my character. Who I am, my glory. And I will share that with no one. You understand? So we have to humble ourselves and seek God's face and hope that he's merciful, kind, gracious, and forgiving. And guess what? He is. That's the good news of the gospel. Get it? You mean to tell me that it would be like this, brothers and sisters. It would be like God putting us on the planet, by the way he did, and we see all the evidence, right? Trees and all the wonderful color and, and the oranges and the apples and the fruits. And, and it bears witness to something created this. But who he is, right? Who he is is what everyone wants to know. Everyone, that's his glory. Is, is the one who made all this wonder of the sunset and the pink colors and, the, and, and, and all the stuff that we go, wow, ooh, ah, woo. You know, when we go to Tahoe and we look at the first snowfall and it just looks like it's decorated out there, right? The pines, it's beautiful, right? And we're beholding the goodness and the glory of who? Now, the question is, but what kind of person is that? I mean, is God whimsical like Ernie King? Is God moody? Because i got to trust his character. I've seen his handiwork. I've seen how he's decorated everything. He's great. He's, He's skilled and he's wonderful. But... I don't know if he's a good God or not, right? I don't know if I can what? Trust him. You understand? And then we got this snake of a liar called the devil coming in and twisting God's what? Character. So even even sinners even more stand off like, who is this God? We got false doctrine, we got false teaching, and we're wondering, can we trust this God? I mean, I hear the Catholics, and I hear the Mormons, and I hear Allah and all this stuff. Who is this God? And God comes to us, and he reveals himself through who? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the express image of God. He is who God is. Do you understand that? You are not going to get it wrong when you understand Jesus Christ. He is the only way to get right with God. There's no name under heaven whereby men might be saved because Jesus Christ faithfully represents the character of God Almighty as he is in truth. All other gods are a lie, brothers and sisters. They're a lie. And they will mislead you. And the consequences of that is your soul. Do you understand that? We got to get this right. We got to get the gospel right. Do you understand? As we go through the Sermon on the Mount, I'm I'm just going to keep taking you back to this, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And I hope that I can tear down any of you who 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 are trying to build your own righteousness and and or any of you who 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 don't have a righteousness. Well, there's no such thing as that. You have one. My heart and my prayer is that you will run to Jesus, that God would use his word, even this morning, to where you can see, you know what? That does make sense. If I'm going to approach God on the basis of my good weighing out the bad, and this guy up here is telling me that God's standard is perfection, an ice cube in hell has a better chance than me. You understand? See, the question is, 
And here's where it boils down. Do you believe it? See? See, it's a faith issue. Do you believe that that's God's standard? You know what most people are doing? Ah, I don't want to believe that God. That's not the God that I like. I don't think that God, the God who made me is really that strict. I don't think he's holy and perfect like you're saying. I think he will let my goods weigh out my bad. So, mm, mm, mm. And they're willing to wait till judgment day to find it out, right? And all we can do is say, oh, Lord, open their eyes. Have mercy. Show them your grace, Lord. Do you understand that? Because you and I, who have been redeemed, we know that that's not true. It's a lie. You understand? Okay, let's apply this. Um, So, Jesus in our text, brothers and sisters, is basically going after a God consciousness. So when he says things like, but I say to you, this is verse 34, but I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the holy great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, your no, no, for whatever is more of these is from the evil one. For the Christian. What God is telling us to do here, brothers and sisters, is just to live before God and take your integrity very, very seriously. You understand? And the reason for that is because he sees, he knows, he hears, he understands. You don't have to be perfect. Follow me? You're not going to be perfect at this, but take it seriously before God. Don't slip into uh, uh, what the rest of the world's doing. Lying. And using those lightly and making promises and reneging on it and committing to things but not showing up and, and just saying, I've been redeemed, I'm a Christian. No, that doesn't represent Christ and his kingdom. Okay? You're taking the grace of God for granted if you're living that way. Don't do that. You provoke God to anger. All right? No, take your tongue very seriously, take your integrity very seriously, and ask God to help you to reflect him to your fellow human beings and take that very seriously for his great glory in his name and his grace. And I'm just going to say that. You say, well, well, I don't like that pressure. I can't help that. You are called to be dignified in the way you represent God's kingdom. No excuses. All right? Well, nobody's... No excuses. Okay? God has forgiven you, but don't use that, brothers and sisters, as an occasion for the flesh. Through love, serve the Lord and your neighbor, all right? And if you're outside of Christ this morning, all right, and you're trusting in your own righteousness, here's another opportunity for you to close with Christ. You know that you can't get right with God by law-keeping. Why? Simply this, because God's standard for that is perfection. Okay? Now, you have to ask God to open your eyes to see that. And you can do that. You can get on your knees in your heart right now, and you can say, Oh, God, help me to see these things. Open my eyes, Lord. Be merciful to me, the sinner. 
and let God reveal his glory to you that you might be saved. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.